Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 121 of Yoga Land. Today, I have Jason here as my guest. Hi, Jason. Hi, Andrea. And we're going to answer a question that came in from a reader in reference to episode 119. We're also, I was going to drink that. I know, but you're going to be all clanging. You get He's after me. He's fussy with my coffee right you now. You get after me if I move an arm. He's fussy with my and coffee. And you're using China? <laughs> yes, it's China. I don't accept pottery in this house. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what to say to that. I do not know what to say to that. I'm going to move on and I'm going to ask not you. In college. Before we get, don't even knock pottery. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm not knocking pottery. I'm joking. I'm, I'm playing a role. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to get you to play another role because I'm going to okay. ask you before we get into our uh, the meat of our conversation. How is your how's your keto plan going? My ketogenic diet. Plan? Yes. Mm-hmm. How's that going for you? Because you know I'm going to have Will Cole on the podcast, the uh-huh. author of Ketotarian. Sure. And I'm so excited to ask someone all my keto questions. So I'm just I want to check in and see if you have any struggles, challenges, anything with you're the going keto, with the keto. Yeah, like diet? you know, have you gotten down to like four scones a day, or no, is it more like no? You know what my diet is. I've made it very clear to you. Mm. It's not ketogenic. Okay. It's oftentimes what it's people do. It's not sconogenic. Oftentimes what people do in preparation for the ketogenic diet <laughs> is they go paleo. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what I'm doing in preparation for paleo diet is I have devised a very important diet. Okay. That is a spinoff of the paleo diet called the caveman diet. I think it can also be the cave woman diet. It might actually exist. It's like the cave person diet. Cave person diet. And this okay. is what it is. Would a cave person eat this if it if it arrived on the doorstep? Like if it crossed their path. If it crossed their path, would a hungry cave person I like eat that. This? Yeah. So like if a marshmallow would eat it. You telling me a hungry a hungry person would not eat a marshmallow? Right. Right. Back in the day. Right. Peanut butter and jelly crust scraps from the child. <laughs> Pretty much like all child food remainders. Like, and like even pasta with um orquiete with parmesan. Arguably. I would give everything to my child, but I would sometimes take my child's food before they're done eating it. If you were the caveman? No, in current day to day. Yes, I know. I, I see this all the time. There have been I'm times te- I am teaching- when I've had to do the point at you. I know. And go, she's not done. I am teaching my daughter to be self-reliant and to be able to stand up against bullies. By taking her pasta. Including food bullies. Yeah. Yeah. That's very important. Yeah. In all other ways, I feel like we run the risk of overnurturance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that we have now that we have no audience left. I know. Okay. Let me get to the first question. So first we're gonna host a question. Yes. Well, we're gonna go back to, as I said, if you haven't listened to episode 119, you might want to go back and listen to that one because this question came in from Yoga with Neil. Thank you for writing in. And this question is in response to that episode. And so we're going to, for this episode, we're going to answer this question and then we're going to move on to talking about another question that comes in for me from time to time from listeners, which is how do I deal with nerves before I'm teaching? How do I sort of boost my self-confidence in terms of self-promotion. Yeah, I think those yeah. are kind of related Yeah, topics. and I'll, they are related topics. And I'll say those aren't just questions that come in from listeners. Those are things that we all go through. Yeah, that's true. You know, these are things that even in advanced trainings, I'm talking to students about all the time mm-hmm. and sharing that, you know, I 
I deal with these issues too. Yeah. You know, anyone that doesn't deal with these issues is psychotic. Yeah. I mean, maybe not psychotic, you know what I mean? But like, these are, these are human things. Yeah. You know? And so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. So let's, let's get to the sequencing follow-up question first. So I'm going to read this question and I I think I'm just going to read the whole question. Okay. Okay. So it says, I listened to Jason replies on creative sequencing and felt a bit disillusioned by the end. Oh man. I know we never want to hear you guys feel disillusioned, but that's okay. We can take it. Don't listen to me. (laughs) Okay. What are you listening to me for, Neil? (laughs) The problem being that my classes are usually very general in terms of focus. So I don't specifically focus on one area, which means I'm often integrating new things and changing things around. Does this make them less effective? Maybe. Obviously, what he says makes sense and is very educational, but as the yoga world is very competitive, gym owners, studio owners, etc. put pressure on teachers to, quote unquote, freshen things up. Additionally, as people can go where they want, I think they don't often want the same old, same old. Additionally, wouldn't you say that if we are to develop our bodies in a modern yoga practice so it's sustainable, then it isn't good to have the body repeating the same things over and over again? If pushing the body too far or weakening it through repetitive movements, i.e. hip openers, chaturanga, is not helping us, then can't creative or new sequences help us in many ways? By challenging ourselves, by opening up new neurological pathways, by going into different ranges of motion, that is how we keep our bodies sustainable. Um, yeah, so and I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So there's really two two big sets of questions in here is what I see. I see a set of questions around keeping a sequence consistent for a period of time and whether or not that is a like a commercially friendly thing mm-hmm. for your students, for your base and for your studio. So whether or not, you know, consistency is viable in the modern yoga world. And then the second set of questions is whether or not it is biomechanically sound. Right. You know what I mean? Like th- those are those are the two Yeah, that's big kind groups. of teasing out the two main. Yeah, and I think that those are those are good, important, legitimate concerns. Let me start by taking a step back, which is to say I don't ever think that the way I approach something is the way that everyone needs to or wants to approach something, right? So, for people that feel as a yoga teacher that they are thriving by constantly changing their sequencing and their focal points and keeping things very general, I would say don't change anything. Mm-hmm. Like if that's, if that's what you do, if that's you. if that's working for you, you know, if you feel, again, I won't parse it any further. If you feel like career-wise and internally, you're thriving in this method, then don't change anything. If you feel like you're not thriving, then follow Patanjali's basic logic when he talks about Pratipaksha Bahavana. And when something isn't working, begin to cultivate the opposite of that thing. So let's take on the commercial viability to this, okay? And there's something that's kind of, I don't feel totally comfortable saying what I'm about to say, mostly because of what my personality is and because I was raised in the Midwest. But there, there isn't someone that is more commercially viable in the contemporary yoga world than I am right now. And this is how I do it. So it's a really good representation and role model, right? I keep things extremely consistent for increments of time. And my demand has only increased over time, not decreased. Now, 
commercial viability comes down to a lot of things, a ton of things. And commercial viability doesn't even necessarily correlate with quality, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, but, that, but that's a little bit beside the point because right now we're talking about commercial viability, right? We might think to ourselves, well, my students like to, to change it up. My students like to have it switched up or, or my, the studio manager might like that. So what I would say to this is, let's look at some other models. Ashtanga yoga, pretty commercially viable. Talk about same old, same old, okay? Baptiste yoga, really commercially viable. Pretty much same old, same old. I am on the side of consistency, so I'm not, I'm not denigrating these, yeah, these yeah, models. Yeah, yeah. Bikram yoga, despite being an internationally sought after criminal. Felon. He's a convicted felon. Still <laughs> extremely commercially viable. And again, there's a lot of reasons why this is, right? And we don't want to say it just comes down to sequencing, but we want to make it very clear that consistent sequencing does not preclude commercial viability. It enhances commercial viability because it provides consistency. And when you provide consistency to a group of students that get to know that they're going to have a similar tone, a similar feel, a similar set of takeaways when they leave class, they're more likely to come back to class time and time again. You look at any brand management structure, that brand is trying to replicate a consistent experience over time because that is what actually drives people to participate. Yeah. Okay. I would say that's one thing. Okay. So that's a layer to it. Okay. Now I'd say another layer to this, which is I'm really only talking about four to five weeks of consistency in a row. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because those other styles of yoga, which I think work very well for certain people and body types and personality types are also not completely my thing. What I, what I've been doing for a long time is I'm trying to strike what I think is the contemporary correct balance between what I'm going to say is the neurotic impulse to make everything different all of the time. (laughs) And then also have it being the same, same all the time. So that's a big point to make that four weeks is really not a very long time. Mm -hmm. Like it's just really not a long time to try to learn something, right? If I'm trying to, trying to teach like a slightly harder pose, like Bakasana or one-legged Bakasana, you know, one-legged crane or one-legged crow, that's not going to happen in a day. That's no. not, that's not going to happen that in a class. hasn't happened for me in 12 years. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right? But so the point is, is like, you're not, you're just not going to l- randomly learn something that's more difficult. And so what starts to happen, I think commercially is people are more inclined to, now again, from a, from a, from sort of a, a deep spiritual philosophical perspective, we could take issue with what I'm about to say, but we're, we're still talking about commercial viability. Okay. So what people are drawn to is the feeling that the thing they are doing is providing identifiable benefits. Mm -hmm. People want to make progress. And the way you make progress through anything is through repetition. Mm -hmm. And so when we don't have enough repetition, we have trail off. We have people that are just like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I've been feeling like, a, like you did an episode a long time ago about how valuable plateaus are. Yeah. 
And I totally believe in that, but that's from a very mature seasoned perspective. Mm -hmm. So a lot of students, it's going to take them decades of practice before they realize that plateaus are healthy, Mm -hmm. right? So when we're talking about commercial viability, what we want our students to experience is we want them to experience progress. Yeah. Right. And, and not even like, look, not even like, oh, last week I was not able to do something. Now I am able to do something. That's ideal. But another thing that's in that middle ground is last week I wasn't able to do something. This week I'm still not able to do that thing, but I'm almost there. Or I understand it. I understand it. Or I can feel it in my body. Exactly. Or whatever. Like I can put the mechanics together. I know what I have to work on. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But when we don't have consistency in a curriculum, then the student has no benchmark. Yeah. And then they have no understanding of what's actually working and what's not actually working. Right. Which is one of the reasons that like in the fitness world or any competitive world, tracking progress is like basic. Sorry. It's so it's so integral to the process. Yeah. Right. Now, again, it, it, we are dealing with existential, spiritual, phys- philosophical dimensions. Where we don't want to get overly caught up in the game of progress and improvement. So we have to also contrast that. But we can't ignore that students are actually going to want to know that they are becoming more proficient in the subject that they're investing their time in. Mm -hmm. And for me, in my experience as a student and my experience as a teacher, the best way to do that is to have some consistent focal points for a period of time rather than keeping everything always very general. There's one other benefit, I think, to doing some consistent sequencing, which is that it makes it a lot easier for a student to then practice at home. Absolutely. Like I started more serious practice. It was in the Ashtanga system. And so very early on, I knew how to practice at home because I just did the first, I did the whole standing series until seated. And then I did like, a few, I did, would do like a few seated poses and then Shavasana. And I knew what to do. I didn't have, it was like, I knew mentally, so I could kind of let go of that. And even like somatically, I kind of knew the feeling of it and there was a rhythm to it. And so it's it's pretty empowering in that sense to give people something that they can, even if they only hook into a part of that sequence at home, it, I think it's just, it's just very empowering. It's a nice doorway for people when they're like, oh, I kind of feel like, or I don't have time to go to class today. Or I feel like practicing at home today. Or like I'm watching TV and I want to do some handstands. What can I do to warm up for that? They have that roadmap a little bit. Totally. Yeah. And if we step aside and we think about this as, you know, and Neil wrote in here that it was that this this was an educational, like this process is educational, and it's like yes, yeah, because I'm a teacher. I understand that there is a group exercise component to teaching a class, but yoga is an actual subject, mm-hmm. and I am a teacher of that subject, and so my ethical responsibility is to educate people on the subject, not just lead a group exercise class, and to me. That is a fundamental belief that is deeply ingrained in me. And do I like group exercise classes? Yes, totally. But I also I also want to learn about the subject that I'm taking. I want to I want to learn the details. And I know that I can't do that as a student if I don't have consistency and if I don't have the educator helping to to put some put connect some of the dots together for me. Did we address the biomechanical issue here? Let's get up? that. Okay. Yeah. So I think this is pretty simple, which is just to point out that 
being more consistent for a period of time does not preclude having a high degree of variety and balance within the sequence. Within the sequence itself. It's just like it's just like in the exercise world, like you just do periodization. Like this is just basic fundamentals of how anyone makes any development, which is you create a sequence structure, which I have, which I use in every class or workshop or training. I have a similar sequence structure. That structure does by nature include preparations. It includes sun salutations. It includes forward bends, side bends, back bends, and twists. It includes a little bit of everything that the entire body does. So in every class, you do a little bit of everything the body does, and you also have things that you concentrate on within that process, right? You sort of think about it like a five-course meal. You still have a completely balanced meal, but you have you have a seasonal focal point within that meal. You know, you have the the sort of the local ingredients of that season that are called out within every dish. There, there's a food metaphor, not just another sport metaphor, right? So the point on that is like, we don't want to get into the mind of thinking that things are mutually exclusive because the the other layer that comes up to this all the time is, well, I have drop-in students. It's like, of course you have drop-in students. Everyone has drop-in students. Having a targeted, focused, progressive sequence that is consistent and works on things for a month or two or slightly less doesn't mean that someone can't drop in on it. It's kind of like watching a television show within a series. Each episode, each class needs to work in and of itself mm-hmm. 100%. And there's a narrative arc, mm-hmm. right? That's all we're saying. It's like it's like anything. It's like a collection, mm-hmm. right? It's like there's a through line, you know, that there's that there's multiple narratives that are, that are happening. Now, this requires the, the teacher to have a higher level of education mm-hmm. to be able to layer these things out. But that's what we're talking about here. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Great. I hope yeah. that's helpful. Totally. Yeah. And those are yeah. really good questions. Really good questions. They're yeah. really good questions. And again, I'll say if for anyone you feel like, oh man, you're totally thriving, to being sort of day to day, week to week, don't change. Don't change. Right. Then, then that's good. There's, there's, there's going to be more than one way that's going to work. But if you want to change and you're afraid that your students don't want I think that that is a extremely false assumption. Okay. Think about what you want when you're spending money. Do you want to have no idea what's going to happen? Or do you want to have a pretty good, clear idea what's going to well, happen? Well, I know what you and I want in that situation. Think about anyone. We like predictability. Yeah. Mo- uh, yeah. No, I agree. Do. Most people do. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's take a little break and then we will go on to our next segment. Okay, so we're going to just jump into, I don't have a specific question because I've literally gotten so many of these questions over the year, uh, years that it's just, it was something I thought we could talk about today, which is, it's two parts. One part is I've been teaching for a while and I still 
question my competence level as I'm teaching. Sure. I feel nervous before I'm teaching. Sure. And then part the second part is kind of how do I feel the confidence to self-promote and kind of hustle a little bit more in my yoga business? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, the shrimp are going crazy right now. Okay, that's pretty out of context. Sorry. So either you're going to cut that. Sorry. Okay. Or you're going to explain to your readers that you're not having a psychic break. <laughs> well, because as you I, all I know, know I get tangential, but this is real. I'm not, I'm not even looking. Oh, darn. I'm not looking. It's going crazy. I'm worried about I'm staying about focused. Him. It's like so when someone the walks deal, in guys. the room late, don't look. <laughs> I have less, I guess I have less focus in this situation. We have a fish tank in our daughter's room. We have two shrimp. They're very shy. They don't usually do much. And one of them, he's now calm, but he was literally going crazy. And I have a lot of fish guilt because I haven't changed the water in a while. So there you go. Period. The end of story. Good. Back to the, back to the topic at hand. Sorry. Confidence. Confidence. We'll start with the nerves thing. I do not get nervous anymore ever to teach yoga, but I have taught, I've counted up 40 hundred thousand bazillion hours <laughs> of teacher training this month. <laughs> I've taught more hours of teacher training this year than there have been hours that have existed in this year. I don't get nervous, but I sometimes still get excited. So, you know, I still sometimes get that that little dose of adrenaline, right? But I don't get nervous as in a sort of stage fright feeling of what's going to happen because it's so known for me, but I swear it took 15 years for that to go away, especially with travel, especially with conferences, right? So I still get like preparatory anxiety about the process of leaving home, yeah, uh, especially for weekends, you know, getting up for the plane, doing the whole thing. I still get preparatory anxiety for that. But for me, teaching the class is, it's like having a conversation with friends. You know what I mean? Oh, like, it's nice. It's just, it's just that it's, it's a very comfortable thing for me to do. But again, it's only comfortable because I have repeated it so many times and because I'm really consistent. I never don't know the plan. I might deviate from the plan. I might take the muse and go somewhere else with it. But I always have such a consistent set of outcomes that I'm looking to facilitate that I just don't get nervous about it anymore, right? I think the other thing for me, and then I'll I'll talk about addressing those nerves. I think the other thing for me is everyone that teaches wants everyone that is in their class to like them. We We all want to be liked. There's no way you can do this really personal thing and not want to be loved and liked for it, okay? We all do. Where I have gotten much more resolved and comfortable is the knowledge that what I do, I do very well, and that many people will like it, and some people will just not prefer it, Mm. right? So the the thing that's different is like, even if I know that someone doesn't resonate with class or my personality or what I'm teaching, That to me isn't a negative reflection on me or them. It's a reflection on the phenomenon that not everyone makes a good couple. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it doesn't mean one person's bad, another person's bad. It just means that that that, that preferential engagement is not there. It's not a fit. It's just not a fit. Mm-hmm. So I know that there are going to be students that come to my class that it's just not a fit for them. But I don't, I don't want to say that I don't take that personally anymore. Like on some level, that's still uncomfortable. I don't want that to be true. Mm-hmm. But I believe that to be true. And I no longer get in my head and and allow that to undercut my value. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. So I have an and I, I also believe that there is nothing that I or anyone can do to make everyone like that class. Right. Right. Like if we were to go through super popular yoga teachers there's going to be many people that are listening that'll be like, yeah, I really like that class. And there's going to be many people listening that are like, yeah, that wasn't my thing. Right? Yes. I mean, I think you're talking about basically the rational mind superseding the emotional energetic body. Which... At least mollifying it. Yeah. 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 So I believe that what I do is as good as I can do that thing. And that many people will resonate with it and that some people will not. And there's nothing that I can do to make the people that don't resonate with it resonate with it mm-hmm. without making other people that do resonate with it no longer resonate with it. Yeah. This is not, it, it just can't be done. It can't be all things to all it people. It can't But be I think what done. about people who are feeling like, okay, I don't need to be all things to all people. I just want to have my people. I want to find my people. It takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a while. It takes a long time. I, you know, I think that that's a place where I don't want to go down the social media thing too much, but I think that this is <sighs> being a yoga teacher in today's environment, in today's teaching environment, there are countless more opportunities than there ever used to be. But in today's teaching environment, the internalized stress to be commercially successful is way worse than it ever used to be because of how we project on what we see in social media. It's not social media's fault. It's what we project based on what we see in social media. So the point that I want to get back to on this is what I found is that the nerves that I used to experience were kind of deeply rooted in my insecurity and my fear that it might not go well and that people might not like it. Mm -hmm. Now I know that it will go well and that some people will not like it. Mm, right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I just, I just know that to be the case. Yeah. And so, and I've done it and survived it so many times. It's like it's kind of like surviving the breakup. You're like, I can survive a breakup. I'm gonna be okay. You know. And so it, this might. It's again. I don't feel like I have gone through this nerve process by figuring out something where everyone loves and adores everything I say. Uh-huh. I've gone through this nerve process by truly th- believing in myself and saying, this is what I do and I do it as well as I can do it. And it is impossible that everyone will love it equally. So all I can do is do this thing and let go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it really is, uh, it really is to that, to that phase. Do you have any thoughts? And I don't know, you may or may not. Um, do you have any thoughts on that feeling um, of just before you go in a room, if you're feeling nervous and there isn't really like a lot of uh, thought attached to it, you're just 
really nervous. Do you have any advice for that? Yeah, a couple of things. Number one, accept the fact that that is a little bit the nature of our job. Mm -hmm. You know, like once in a while, I'll hear people tell like, oh my gosh, I have a presentation to give today. I'm so nervous. Or, oh my God, I've been preparing for a presentation. Like that's a yoga teacher's life. All we do are presentations. Mm -hmm. And doing a presentation is exhausting. It's super interactive. And are you going to get adrenaline? Hell yes, you're going to get adrenaline. So don't expect it to be otherwise. So it's learning to manage and ride the adrenaline, not to negate the adrenaline. So I wouldn't even say like, take a couple of slow, deep breaths. Like, yeah, but if you are bathed in adrenaline, a couple of slow, deep breaths isn't going to do anything. Mm -hmm. Let's not pretend otherwise. Okay. So when you get that adrenaline dump, you have to ride it. And you have to accept it and you have to realize that it's not you, it's the nature of the job, right? It's the nature of the job. And so I think that that's so important because we have to embrace that. Otherwise, we're going to be stressed about the stress. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? You add a layer. You add a layer. I'm not doing this right. There's something wrong wrong with me. Exactly. There's something wrong with me because I'm getting nervous. Well, no bleep, you're getting nervous. Like it just, it just hit you somewhere in your lizard brain Yeah. <laughs> that for the next 90 minutes, you guys, 90 minutes is a long time. Go watch a, like a sitcom. I cannot even or, like, tell you. Watch when a I 90s comedy first, movie. When I taught my first yoga class, I was, I've said this probably so many times on the podcast. I was in shock for how much time I had to fill and how much talking it required. It's crazy. There were these giant giant long pregnant pauses in my first year of teaching yoga because I just couldn't do it. I mean, that's why I do what I do, which is I talk when it's like totally on my terms in my job now, but but yeah, it's it's a lot. I want to just add one thing that I thought of, which is um in Kelly McGonigal's book, The Upside of Stress. There's so many good takeaways in that book, but the one that I still use to this day, which is so great, is when you're excited before going on stage or doing a presentation or public speaking, whatever it is, choose to see that anxiety as excitement. Yeah. Because it really is yeah. in a way. Yeah. You're so excited. You want to do such a good job yeah. that your excitement like tips the scales into anxiety. Yeah. And so if you just, and they did a study, it's in the book where, you know, people who did this exercise of just like recontextualizing it, like, oh, I'm just feeling excited. You yeah. know, at the end, like they had a better performance. So I, I still use that one all the time for things. And yes. it's great. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So that's number one is realize it's the nature of the job. Number two, recontextualize it as, look, this is something that you're going to have to ride. And talking for 90 minutes is a lot. Thank God there's adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, as someone that has done this for so long, adrenaline is such a catch-22 in this Mm. job. And it's like sometimes when there's no adrenaline, especially when I'm teaching a teacher training program, if I'm tired and there's no sort of natural chemistry, I just think to myself, oh my God, (laughs) I have to interact with people for four hours in a row. (laughs) do it for four hours in a row knowing you how i know you i don't and i don't and i don't and i'm not nervous yeah how am i gonna do this at least when you are a little bit nervous you have some fuel yeah you know so i would say the other thing is too if that comes up right before class don't give a dharma talk 
You know what I mean? Like if you are a little bit nervous, don't, don't start with like, okay, I'm going to walk you. That's really good advice. Because you're just going to spin tangential and you're going to make no sense. Your voice will shake. Get them moving. That's a really, really good advice. So just think about your inner tempo and bring people to that tempo. Because then there's this teacher-student symbiosis. Yeah. And when you get people to move and when you get rhythm, right? When you get the rhythm of them moving and you get the rhythm of breathing, then you're going to settle in and be able to ride that, yeah. those nerves. And and no matter what, when people move right away, they're happy. I can remember when I subbed at the Bay Club once for David Lurie back in the day, and he had a huge class. Oh, David Lurie. David Lurie, if somehow you're out there- Listening. Listening. Hello. We miss you. Anyway, those of you that Yeah. So I had no idea that he had a huge class. I just thought it was like yeah. 10 people. It was like 50 yeah, 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 people. Yeah, yeah, yeah on a weeknight showing up to yeah. his class, knowing very little about it because yeah. I didn't ask him because I just thought like, whatever. I remember that. And I think I started probably talking because I always like want to infuse things with meaning. <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh at me. So no, I think it's, it's. Uh, go ahead. Anyway. Um, of course we want to infuse things with meaning. Like it's funny <laughs> that that is a funny thing to want. Right. And so the stairs, so the, the Bay Club, you guys, is a, is a, it's a gym in San Francisco with a beautiful yoga center, but still, nonetheless, it's a gym. It's not like a yoga studio where people are used to Darwin talks or anything like they that. They could be anywhere though, I, I believe. And right. the looks on people's faces, it was like I had five heads. Like, lady, shut your mouth. <laughs> I am going to do a handstand in the middle of the room right now if you don't get us moving. And so I took the cue and I, I got them moving. But yeah. also I think that another good point you made about getting people moving right away is if you are nervous, you don't really want 50 sets of eyes on you mm-hmm. staring at you you want them to be in their own space and in their own body and and, and moving so that's really i like get that. them and, and just get them when they get to rhythm you are the one that that sets the pace to get them to rhythm so when you get to rhythm in order to get them to rhythm it then smooths out that uh that charge dissonance yeah there's, there's yeah. got it when you get that charge it's got to go somewhere yeah. It's got to go somewhere. Okay. Yeah. So. Last thing how, we were going to talk about is self-promotion. Yeah. So what I'm going to say is that I want to flip the script a little bit on self-promotion. And I want to say that don't think about promoting yourself. Think about promoting yoga. Think about promoting people doing yoga. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do the simplest thing here, which is a lot of times in trainings when I'm trying to help people understand that they don't want to live a yoga life, a yoga career based on classes, public classes alone, that they have to diversify their teaching environments and diversify their revenue streams. The sooner the better. Okay. For a lot of different reasons, and including the economics of it, but also including the the sort of the inner landscape and sanity of it. Sure. One of the things that I talk about is is getting people to do private sessions with you, okay? And 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 what I talk about when I help other teachers try to communicate that they sell private lessons is is to think about 
not that this person is doing private yoga with you and how great you are, but to think about this person is going to do an extra hour of yoga in their life. And is that a good thing or not a good thing? Hmm. You know? So it's not even like, oh, well, I don't know if I'm good enough to teach Joe and Sally this, that, and another thing. Don't I have to be special, blah, blah, blah. And the answer is no. I mean, the answer is yes, you probably are. You have are. to be skillful. Yeah, but if, you're, but if you're teaching public classes, right? If you've gone through a training, you, we all need ongoing training, but that's beside the point. The point where people get hung up is, is they think I'm not enough. Yeah, so I'm true. not enough. I th- I think you don't want to deal with that issue yet. Yeah. Because that's a deeper issue. Yeah. That's a hard issue. <laughs> you got to have enough money to pay your therapist for that one. Exactly. So get those private clients. <laughs> <laughs> right? So essentially what you want to do is say to yourself, do you believe that it would be valuable for someone to do an additional hour of yoga every week? The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in yoga? Yes. Do you believe that yoga is good for this person? Yes. If this person is motivated to do an hour of yoga and have your focus on them, is that a good thing? Is it better than nothing? Than not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that's how I feel about it all the time. I feel like whether it's my trainings, whether it's, you know, my workshops, whether it's one thing or another, at this point, I believe in myself, but I did not believe in myself for a hell of a long time but I believed in yoga. Hmm. So now it's a pair, right? It's like, I believe that I have a unique set of experiences that I can add specific depth to people's yoga teaching and practice. But it's still not mostly about me. It's still mostly about me helping to facilitate the practice of yoga and others because it's the practice of yoga that's actually the transformational element, not me. So in terms of promotion, I don't really feel like we need to try to promote ourselves. First, mainly we need to just promote that practicing yoga is a good thing mm-hmm. and believe in that, you know, and and stand up for that and communicate it. And then as a teacher, you know, you are facilitating the dynamics but it's not really all about you and whether or not you can entertain someone and fix someone for an hour. It's can you lead them through an hour long practice? And is that hour long practice going to be good for them? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I actually, as you were talking, I realized I have, I have a thought about this topic too, which I didn't even realize until you started talking. My approach is so different from what you just described and my career is different. So it may, I'm, going to say it and hopefully it applies to yoga teachers too. Uh, I was talking to a yoga teacher this week who shall remain nameless. I will leave her identity nameless. And she was talking about how challenging it is for her to promote herself on social media. She's like, it's just not really my nature to like toot my own horn. Uh And yet I know that people need to see in marketing, people need to see things like six or seven or eight times before they even think of committing to going to a class, right. signing up for a workshop, right. et cetera, et cetera. And I said, I am the same way. It's been really hard for me. I you know, spent so many years as an editor behind the scenes and really liking that. 
but I wanted to strike out and do something on my own. And I actually want the podcast to be like a viable business, whether it's my only revenue stream remains to be seen, but like, I'm not just doing this uh, out of the goodness of my heart. I'm not, you know, it's just like, I have a skill and I'm trying to do this. So what I said to her was, I think for people like us, the first step is recognizing that you're not a person by nature who has unreasonable goals. Right. Like we joke in our family, and I hope it's okay that I like out this joke. We joke in our family that Jason still wants to be a professional athlete someday. I'm just not. I, I'm. I'm. It's. I don't know why you said that. It's that it is a joke. Like, and I'm not talking about like a yoga athlete or even jujitsu, which you actively pursue right now. But you want to be like a football player. There's no money in jujitsu. There's no fame. There's no like Rolex sponsorships. Right. Do you? I, How about okay. tennis? Would you? consider tennis no i've never been good at racket sports listen when i was a child i played soccer oh i played hockey for a very long period of time now i've played hockey long enough to know that i am not professional grade nor will i ever be yeah but when i was a young child soccer soccer was but you don't want to be in the american league of soccer you Mm, want to be premier league what what kind of yeah yeah, Yeah. major league soccer so no disrespect i'm sure some people have Professional life goals of playing in Major League Soccer, <laughs> San Jose Earthquake, they're fine. <laughs> so my point being yeah. in bringing that up is that you're Speaking not- of which, I got to start working out a little bit more. These are not your goals, right? Your goal, like if you are a person who by nature doesn't really enjoy self-promotion, you're probably a person who by nature has reasonable goals yeah. that are not completely ego-driven. And so what I do is I look at my goals- Okay. And I simply in a very rational, like almost non-attached way back into it from there. Okay. If I want the podcast to be, you know, to bring in this much money per month someday. (laughs) Sorry. Someday. Do you mean this much money or money? (laughs) Then I have to, what do I have to do? A, I have to have a certain number of downloads. Okay, what are the things I do to have to have those downloads? I have to cultivate a community on social media. I have to write for other magazines. I have to try to get interviews. I have to do these things. And so then putting myself out there and emailing someone at another podcast to ask for an interview doesn't feel like, oh God, like, am I, you know, am I ready to do this interview or do I have anything to say or do people even want to hear from me or they're going to think I'm weird because they don't know me? It's like, no. This is just one thing I have to do, and it's either going to work out or it's not. And if that avenue doesn't work out, switch gears and go another avenue yeah. toward the goal. Yeah. You've produced a map, and you've taken a step on that map. Yeah. And there, and the map is dynamic. It's always changing. It's an, it's an alive thing. And yeah, I agree with that. We it's, it's very difficult, especially as yoga teachers. I, I don't think just as yoga teachers. I would think that artists, I would think that musicians i would think that actors you we we don't want to go this we don't want to go too far down this topic but we both listened to that david axelrod podcast with ronan farrow and listening to ronan farrow talk about like unbelievably successful as he's been and just like makes everyone else seem dumb i mean went to yell when he was what two eleven seriously so but the point is is like hearing him talk about the potential of career falling apart. Yes. So those issues are within all of us, but not letting that fear stop us from taking a good step in the correct direction in a way that feels 
like it has integrity. So that, that I think is the last part about this, which is I don't think shameless self-promotion is actually valuable in social media, right? It's one of the reasons that in social media, a lot of the hugely popular Instagram yogis don't make any money on teaching yoga. Yeah. They make money on paid sponsorships. Yeah, yeah. Because there's kind of a turnoff, you know, the for the yoga community, it's kind of a turnoff, the sort of ribald, just extreme self-promotion. People don't actually want that. So I don't think that people that are trying to quote unquote promote themselves need to feel like they're shamelessly selling their soul. They just need to be willing to communicate their personal perspective on yoga and that they offer things and that they would be appreciative of people that were sympathetic came to class. Yeah. You know? This is just making me feel like we could do a whole other podcast about like Shameless telling your story. <laughs> no, no, like learning to tell your story. No, and it's not a podcast. Your why it's and... not a podcast. It's not. It is not a podcast. It is you because it's what you've done so much. It's you creating a course. Oh, okay. Okay. Or something that is a longer format thing where you can help people go through a structured process where people understand in a little bit more structured way who they are as yoga teachers, as yoga practitioners, and learn to communicate that to an audience. And the reason that you are unique to do it is because of your personal and editorial experience. Yeah, because I did it for like 12 years. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I don't mean to sound bitter when I say that. You're not bitter. I'm not I'm bitter. It was bitter. just a lot of work, a lot of like, yeah, yeah, helping people. Yes, no, it's true. Helping people figure out what they value and how to say it in a clear, personal way is definitely yeah. one of my specialities. Yeah, so. I, we, need, we need to wrap this up, I know, but I'm going to say one more thing that's like such a subtle thing. One of the things that I started doing and I, I think that this works well, is let's say we're in pigeon pose. A right leg is forward, left leg is back. And I, most of the time, like most teachers give like really straightforward, do this, do that kind of instructions, or we provide imagery or metaphor or story, whatever it is to give instruction. One of the things that I found myself doing is saying things like, when I'm doing pigeon pose on this side, I like to reach my right arm, blah, 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 blah. So instead of just saying, reach your right arm, I find myself at times saying, when I'm doing this pose, I like to blah, 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 blah. And what I find is it that feels to me like an instruction that is this overtly personalized moment that clarifies that I do this stuff too. And that I find effectiveness by doing it this way. Not that I'm reciting a, a script, not that I'm reading you someone else's recipe, but I'm sharing what it's like when I, when I actually cook, right? And so this is this small little way that I think as, as yoga practitioners, as, excuse me, as yoga teachers, that we start to realize that there's all these really small little ways to intimately tell our story without making it all about us. We sort of humanize ourselves in the process. Yeah. And I have no data, but it but I believe that that builds a connection. Cool. 
Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jason. You're welcome, Andrea. And listeners. And the shrimp. For the entertainment. <laughs> Named Detlef 1 and Detlef 2. Oh, I didn't know it was Detlef 1 and Detlef 2. Yep. So nice. just go look that up, you guys. And have a good day. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for listening. If you have any questions that you want to ask in regards to this episode or any episode, you can send me questions to support at jasonyoga.com, and we may answer them like we answered Neil's question on a future episode. I will put show notes for this episode at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 121. And if you're enjoying the podcast and you haven't left yet left a review, please do so. I so appreciate it. Until next week, enjoy your practice. Enjoy your practice.